the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob protect you. Now I know that the Lord will help his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with mighty victories by his right hand. Some take pride in chariots and some in horses, but our pride is in the name of the Lord our God. They will collapse and fall, but we shall rise and stand. This is the word of the Lord. Four hundred years the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. For four hundred years they chafed under this harsh dictatorship of the Egyptian pharaohs. You would have thought they would never, ever have succumbed to being under the guidance of a king again. But people forget. After two hundred years of being led by one of the judges after another, Gideon, Samson, Jephthah, Deborah, they decided they needed to have a king like all the other nations. We want to be like the other nations, they told Samuel. Samuel was unhappy. He talked to God. God said, give them a king. If that's what they want, give them a king. But be sure you warn them first. And so in last Sunday's lection, Samuel was saying, you know what kings do? They take. They take your sons. They take your daughters. They take your wheat. They take your olive oil. They take your grapes from your vineyard, the wine off your table. They will take your manservants, your female servants. They will take everything, and you will be their slaves. And if you go this route, one day you will cry out to the Lord your God, and he will not answer you. And the people said, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. And God said, anoint one for them. And then suddenly those who prepare the lectionary say, we should turn to Psalm 20 for today and see how the people reacted when they had a difficult time. How about this new king of theirs and how did the people react? I've underlined four things. Our new Revised Standard Version, first verse says, the Lord will hear you in the time of trouble. May the Lord hear you. Now, the word Lord, you remember, translates the name given to Moses at the burning bush. The Eye Asher, Eye, I am who I am. May the I am who I am, who heard the cries of his people in Egypt 400 years after the crying began, may he hear you also. But if he does, will you throw yourself into the arms and wishes of God? A few weeks ago during Lent, I was asked to do the series of Lenten preaching at the church I left in Beaumont, Texas when I came here. Their pastor is Dr. Bob Shields. Bob's doing a really great job there. The church is doing well. I was reading his column to the people at Trinity United Methodist Church Beaumont just a few weeks ago. Bob had gone for one of the continuing education events. It was held in a large hotel in another city. The meeting room where the participants had gathered was a large room up on the third floor of the hotel. And he said at one of their break times, he was just sort of stretching himself for those few moments, looking out the window of the hotel. And he saw on the ledge just outside the window a bird's nest. Right beside the nest, a dead mother bird. He said, I don't know what killed her. Maybe she ate something she shouldn't have eaten in the big city. 
Maybe she got something that the exterminators had sprayed trying to kill the rats in the big city or trying to kill some of the vermin or insects of one kind or another. I'm not sure. There she was right beside the nest, very dead. And in the nest, two baby birds. But not little bitty baby birds, big grown-up baby birds. He said, I looked at them carefully through the glass. They seemed to have all their feathers as far as I could tell. They looked grown up. But they were just sitting in the nest screaming. Now he said, I couldn't help them. The windows were sealed, could not be opened. Three floors off the, off the pavement, no way I could reach them. Couldn't get to them from above nor below. That afternoon at the break, I looked. They were still sitting in the nest screaming. The next morning, I looked during break time. They were sitting in the nest screaming. I had to go to the airport, catch a plane home. And the last look I had at them, they were just sitting in the nest screaming. And I wondered, will they just sit there until they die screaming? Or will they decide to try these wonderful wings they've been given and see if in fact they will not bear them up on eagles' come to your time of trouble? Do you just sit in the nest and scream? Or do you step over the edge into the arms of God? Number two, some people trust in chariots, some in horses. They will fall. I've read as a history major about the horrible noise that chariots made running over the dry desert. You have to remember that ancient folk didn't hear loud noises. We are surrounded by loud noises. Not so ancient folk. People who tended sheep, who farmed. There were no tractors even making noise. The noise you heard was a hoe, something scratching in the dirt, uh, the blade of sheep or lamb. Nothing very loud. Clap of thunder, probably the loudest noise they ever heard. But if you were a farmer, a shepherd, and you heard 500 chariots coming, what a ferocious noise. I remember when the movie Patton with George C. Scott was made, I knew that my father had fought in Patton's Third Army in World War II. After Gail and I saw the movie, I called my mom and dad. I said, I know you haven't seen a movie since Gone with the Wind. You might want to try this one. And if you see it, I'd like to hear what your thoughts about it, how accurate you found it to be. And so, a few nights later, my dad called and said, well, we went to see Patton. I said, what would you think? He said, well, I, I thought it was good. From what I know, it, it, was, it was accurate. It was very much, uh, uh, you could count on what it was telling you. But he said, do you remember that night that Patton was bragging about his army? That they could cover more miles in knee-deep snow in the next 48 hours without hot food or drink than any um, army that had ever marched the face of the earth. You have to remember, he said that Patton was riding in a jeep. And I was jogging through knee-deep snow trying to keep up with Patton's tanks. Because I knew if he had to choose between that tank or me, he was going to take that tank. Trying to keep up. And then he talked about the noise that a tank made. If you had 50 tanks, 100 tanks, and if you had another 100 coming from the opposite direction, what a frightening noise that was. Some depend on tanks, chariots, horses, 
they shall fall, this poet says. There's a new movie out called Then She Found Me. Helen Hunt uh, stars in this new movie. If you haven't been to a movie lately, you may not know Helen Hunt. She was an Academy Award winner for As Good As It Gets, but that's already been 11 years. 11 years ago, and nothing really good had been offered to her in all that time, so she had enough money of her own to decide she would help write a script and she would be the lead actress in this movie and that she would put up some of her own money to see that it got produced. I read James Vance's review in the Tulsa World. He said it's a story about two school teachers. Helen is one of them. She's 40 years old. She's not married. She has no children. She wants to be a mother, so she starts looking for a husband. She focuses on one of the other teachers, and in time she marries him, Matthew Broderick. But he's a mother's boy, and the first little spat they have, he goes home to his mother. The marriage is not going to make it. She thinks she'll never find anybody else, and then she meets the divorced father of one of her students, Colin Firth, and he's a good-looking guy. And so she decides maybe this is the right one, but she's already been hurt now, and she's afraid. She's really afraid. She's recently buried her mother. Fed everything else, she's lost her mother. And then suddenly a woman shows up that claims to be her birth mother. And the name of the movie is Then She Found Me. Hear James Vance's words. All four of the major characters have failed. The question is, what will each one do next? What will you do next after you've been hurt? Hit somebody? Break something? Tear something up? Destroy? Bring more pain than somebody brought to you? That's what some people do. They trust in their chariots. They trust in their horses. They shall fail, this Number three, I know the Lord will support his anointed. This word in Hebrew, anointed, is Messiah. In Greek, it's Christos, Christ, Messiah. They are about to go into 400 years of kings who do exactly what Samuel said they would do. They take and take and take and take one step forward, two steps back, one step forward, two steps back for 400 years miserable years, no king ever gets it right all the time. Most get it wrong most of the time. And then the Babylonians lead the last of the Davidic kings away, manacled and bound all the way to Babylon. He dies in captivity. No son of David ever sits on the throne again. Herod the Great would be a king hundreds of years later. He was not a descendant of David. So the Davidic period would end after 400 years of miserable years, and then one would come whom some would say was the anointed one whom God had lifted up, Mary's child, Jesus of Nazareth, Mary's child, Jesus. A few months ago, Barbara Brown Taylor came to our community. Phillips Theological Seminary brought her here to speak in Minister's Week. I got a call from Dr. Tabernay one day right after lunch, and he said, uh, Barbara Brown Taylor wants to see your church. Any chance... Uh, she could see your church, and I said, of course, when would she like to come? He said, I can have her there in an hour. I said, I'll give her a tour myself. I've invited her three different times to come be our Barton Clinton Gordy presenter. She's always had a busy schedule, even though I've tried her two and three years out. I've had never met her. I've only read her writings for years. 
So they arrived. I said, you got 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. I can give you any length tour you want. The lady said maybe 30 minutes would be right. And so I started leading them through our beautiful building, pointing out various things and chatting with her as we went. She's an Episcopalian priest and professor. She's taught for years at Columbia Seminary in Decatur, Georgia. But she decided a few years ago she'd like to do some teaching on the undergraduate level, and so she also has a couple of courses at Piedmont College. In a recent article in Christian Century Magazine, she was talking about that course. It's called Introduction to World Religions. She said these kids who come out of Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, sign up for my Introduction to World Religions. They do not know a Shia from a Sunni. And so they get interested in that. What's the difference between a Shia and a Sunni? They've never heard of Gautama Buddha, so they get pretty interested in Buddhism. They know nothing about Hinduism. They do pretty well in those sections because they know nothing and they try really hard. Where they come near failure is in the section on Christianity because they think they know all about Christianity. And I discover they know some mushed-up account of the life of Jesus, sort of taken from all four Gospels. They don't have a clue that only Matthew talks about wise men. Only Luke talks about shepherds out in their field keeping watch over the flocks by night. That Mark and John don't mention the birth of Jesus at all. They've never heard of St. Augustine. They don't know who Martin Luther was, what he did, what his significance being an Episcopalian, she said, and the Baptist kids don't even know they're Protestants. It really upsets them when I tell them they're Protestants and how much they owe the Roman Catholic Church. They think they've been here from the beginning, she said. Their preachers have told them they've been here from the beginning, and they think the earliest Christians all had copies of New Testament stuck in their back pockets. She said, they call themselves Christians, and they know so little. John Calvin wrote centuries ago now. I believe this psalm was first written just before a great battle for one of Israel's kings, but not for us today. The anointed one for us Christians was Jesus of Nazareth. And we can affirm with all of our hearts, we know the Lord will lift up his anointed one. Number four. But we... Are not they who trust in chariots and horses? This land was given to us when we had no chariots and no horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God, the Eye Asher, Eye our Elohim, and we shall rise and stand. I've been reading about this horrible earthquake in China. More than 80,000 known dead men. Imagine 80,000 deaths in one great catastrophe. But writer after writer has said one of the worst things is that many of these mothers and fathers have been trapped by the fairly recent legislation in China that a couple can have one child. They had to get the Chinese population under control, and so one couple, one child. Well, obviously, if two people have only one child, then the population will gradually shrink. And many of these people have been abiding by the law, having one child, and now that one child is gone. That child is dead. And so they're really grieving 
all the harder. For many of them, it's too late now to start over and have a child. The Wall Street Journal 10 days ago had an article about young Chinese musicians. Now, this number is mind-boggling. The Wall Street Journal said there are serious violin piano students in China today, 40 million. He said, in fact, there's a joke in China that if you see a child on the way to school not carrying a violin case, it simply means he plays the piano. She plays the piano. It's either violin or piano, 40 million of them. So Juilliard and other great conservatories of the world go looking. If you've got 40 million from whom to choose, you surely can find a really good one somewhere. And so they're offering fabulous scholarships to Paris and London and New York and so on to the very best and brightest. But they say all 40 million have such a work ethic. They practice six hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days in the year. These kids work. They are so well-mannered. They are so disciplined. They are so focused because their mothers and daddies are so focused. If you just have one, you can be really focused. Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for do you not know that sparrows are sold for a farthing in the market? But I tell you, not one sparrow falls to the ground, but that my Father knows and cares. If his eye is on the sparrow, 